Welcome to season two of In the Arena with Now. This season, we'll be diving into collaborative action and coalition building, transformative practices for healing, joy, and equity. We'll hear from a variety of local leaders and experts about how they're co-designing and co-creating solutions within their communities, all to ensure that children, families, and all community members have access to the critical resources and opportunities they need to lead healthy, thriving lives. I'm your host, Rhonda Alexander, Director of National Partnerships with Vital Village Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing at Boston Medical Center. Welcome back. I can't wait to jump back into my conversation with Rianne Gibson, a researcher, community change maker, and an advocate for social justice through health equity, food systems, community development, and much, much more. In our last episode, Rianne shared her perspective on the power of collaborative action and leadership in driving community transformation. Today, we'll take our conversation further by diving into co-design, innovation, and who owns change in collaborative community spaces. Here's part two of my conversation with Rianne. I know you're a researcher, so you probably have a million answers to this one, (laughs) but what's something you want to dive deeper into? So one thing that I've worked on on the Healthy Neighborhood Study is this concept of ownership of change. It's really what we're talking about now already is collective action, coalition building, building power in communities. In our research, we found out that there is a relationship between feeling ownership of change and having ownership of change and health and well-being. So physical health and mental health and happiness, which is huge. It's kind of intuitive, but when we think about gentrification and all of the changes happening in communities, a lot of that is happening without meaningful input from community, without collective action. It's happening outside of those spaces, and it is harming people most directly through displacement, but also through lots of other other channels like stress and financially and lots of other ways. And so that's something that I want to dive deeper into because we know that there is this relationship between ownership of change and health, but we haven't really gone as far as to say, well, what does ownership of change really look like? And again, it's not like it'll be Like we can write out a list and hand that to someone and say, here's what you need to do to give the community ownership of change. But I think that I'd love to dive deeper into what it means to actually have or create spaces for true ownership over changes happening. Because I think that we're in a time where people are looking for that kind of information. Like we are in this sort of like racial justice equity movement. And I think that people, a lot of people don't just don't know what to do. And so I think some of it is explaining what's happening, but also it's a little bit of telling or showing what to do and being that model. And I think ownership of change is something that people can kind of wrap their heads around. And so continuing to use that language will be helpful, I think, as we build equity and advance racial justice. 
Yeah. And forgive me if this came up in your answer and I didn't quite wrap my whole mind around it. Is ownership of change, is it about having some decision-making power or essentially ownership in the change that's happening to you versus just watching it happen and not really having any power or any resources to be able to do anything about it? Exactly. It's exactly that. So seeing the change. So we asked the question of thousands of people in gentrifying neighborhoods, do you see the change in the community? Do you see the change to housing? Do you see the change in commercial development? And then do you think that the community has a voice in the change? Are you personally involved? And so we use the questions around seeing the change and having a voice in the change to like uncover this information about ownership of change. And this was in large part because the community groups we were working with and the residents said, like, this is what matters. Like, if we're talking about things that could impact health, it's things like ownership of change, these like systems level challenges. Yeah. So I'm going to pivot us away from the other questions that I'd share because I'm really curious about ownership of change, too. So what role does collaborative action, collaborative leadership play in ownership of change, especially as you talked about gentrification, which is something so many of us can absolutely relate to? Mm -hmm. I think collaborative action is one necessary component to ownership of change. So the community coming together and being resourced by whether it's the government or other sources of funding to have these spaces to come together to say like, okay, here's how we're experiencing what's going on. Here's what we need. Here's what we need from each other. Here's what we need from the city. And being able to do that and come together and like make actual proposals and understand things together is one aspect of ownership of change. And that's where the collective action comes in because that's likely groups that already exist. I feel like in each neighborhood, there are different groups like Madison Food and Fitness where people are, are already sort of coming together and in many cases have for decades. So that's the one half. And that's the half that I think that already exists. And then there's the power piece of ownership of change Because the community can come together and come together and say, we want these things, we need these things. But then decision makers have to actually be listening to the community and have to actually change accordingly to what the community wants. And I think that's the more, can be the more challenging part of of ownership of change is that it's not something that can just happen in the community, in the coalition itself. It requires the power to actually change what they're doing also. Yeah, no, I love that. It's not just about we're going to hold a meeting or we're going to hold a a town hall for people to share their concerns or challenges. But what are you actually going to do about it? Yeah. So my next question, Rian, was as we talk about the most valuable lessons you've gotten, what have been some of the sort of bumps and bruises that you've experienced in collective relationships and collaborative action, you know, because it's, it's really humans working together, bringing all our stuff to the table. So what have been some of the challenges and how have you worked through them? Yeah, it's a great question. Humans have a lot of stuff (laughs) that they're bringing with them. And I think that that's, I mean, that can be one of the challenges or the bumps is building trust together and forming that group together and deciding sort of who you are and what you're doing and where the people align and where there are differences. 
and how to navigate in a space where not everyone is all the same, right? Everyone has different ideas. Everyone thinks that things should be done a little bit differently. And so it's it's about finding where we meet in the middle. And I think that that's something that can be bumpy for sure. I think that navigating these bumps, it requires like, especially in this collective action space, right? You have all these people. And I've said that it's about people working together and sort of determining for themselves who the leader is and everyone sort of adjusting accordingly. And that means that when there's a bump, someone has to acknowledge it. And it's not necessarily always the leader because that might not be what the the skills that the leader is bringing, right? So someone has to acknowledge that things are bumpy, right? And then it's about listening and hearing each other and navigating through the bump. I think that that's on like a more like interpersonal bump that we, we experience. And then of course there's Things like legislative challenges and the city of Boston and just working within an institution and working with the people in the institution. Obviously, there are lots of really supportive people in the city and in the DCR, the people who we work with around green spaces sometimes. But those are also just really big institutions, right, that are dealing with lots of different challenges, not just the one that we're presenting in front of them. So navigating those bumps and persisting sort of through them and not not being frustrated or channeling that frustration can be bumpy. And I think the other bump that I've seen is just around change in like structure, change whenever things are cruising for a long time in one way, that's great. And then people change, priorities change and stuff like that. And so navigating it at those times is obviously harder than when things are working really smoothly. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. I mean, I heard persistence and interpersonal and thinking about the big picture. And I think you may have touched on this. How are your partners making decisions together and how are they innovating for community together? Mm-hmm. Partners make decisions together. It happens internally for like each different, say it's an organizational partner. So like an organization like MFFC, we might make a decision internally as MFFC when there's a decision point and then look to see what other people are deciding about certain things and see where things are aligning and then where things are differing and use that as a point of like, okay, like we think this and this other organization we collaborate with also thinks this. We think differently about this one aspect of it, but we're going to align in the way that we're aligned and be strong together. So that's sort of like how that decision can happen and how the partners are working together and how people are innovating for communities. I think a lot of that comes with communication too and being in communication with, with other community groups and people in other communities so that people can innovate. I think it's a little bit about sharing experience and saying like, oh, this is happening in Mattapan versus like, oh, in Chelsea, it's similar, but a little bit different. Well, what are you doing about it? We're doing this. What are you doing about it? And that's, I think, how the innovation happens. It's just being honest with other groups about what's going on so that then you can solve a problem together. Yeah. So not necessarily competing, which I know our current funding system often is set up to do, mm-hmm. but really partnering together. I really appreciate that. So my last couple of questions are about you and yourself and your community to some extent, but also about you. What's the story you want to be able to tell about your work 
and the communities, the coalitions that you've had the chance to be a part of and be connected with? And what's the story you want to tell now? Like, what do you want people to know that's happening right now? And what would you like to see five, 10 years down the line? I'll start with something I'd like to see five, 10 years down the line. It's that I would love for this food systems challenge that we're in, where a lot of community groups spend a lot of effort moving food around. So there's a surplus here. Let's go grab it and distribute it like that redistribution. It's a beautiful community effort and it's a lot of work. If you think like 10 people volunteering five hours of their day every week, that's a a lot of people hours that could be used differently. So I think that that's something that in like five to 10 years, it's very like a concrete thing, but it frustrates me a lot. And I think about it a lot is how we move food from one place to another physically so that people have what they need. So I'd love for that to be done more efficiently. But the story that I want to be able to tell about the work and the work that I'm doing now, I would love for five, 10 years from now for the story to be about how Mattapan is this community facing all of these pressures related to gentrification and to internal challenges that already exist. And in spite of that, there's this beautiful network of people and the community is resourced and supported in having the things that they need. And the story about how we've been able to use the resources that are available and use our own collective action to get what we need and to build these really beautiful, wonderful spaces that are for our community and that reflect the community. For Mattapan to be this like, this place that people look on and they're like, wow, Mattapan's like really doing some awesome things. So I'd love for people to see that because that's what's happening and to see the efforts that the different players involved have put into making Mattapan a really beautiful space. That is so beautiful. I love that. You know, as we think about our home and the story that we want, what we want folks to understand about our home versus what's shared in the news, what's shared on TV or what If people are even thinking about it, what are they thinking about it? Yeah. So my last question for you, I know you mentioned at the top of our our time together that you are relocating. So what's on the horizon for you and what are you taking with you into this next journey of yours? Ooh, that's such a big question as I sit here surrounded by boxes. On the horizon for me, is I'd love to do more of the same work that I'm doing. Of course, I'm moving away from the community that I've been a part of. And so I'm curious to see what other people are doing. I'm also curious about community-engaged research and participatory action research and how we can apply that in other places to see what other people are doing around participatory action research because it's not really something that's talked about that much. But data is so, so important. And I think that having data and telling data stories like ownership of change is really, really important to movement building and collective action. So I'm really excited to take with me everything I've learned about participatory action research and everything that I've done to build a research project 
I'm looking forward to taking that to, to Washington and seeing what other people are doing and, and seeing how we can connect Boston and places in Washington that are doing this type of work and really showcase how it can be done. I lied. I have one more question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to leave both Mattapan and our listeners with? Mattapan and listeners. So I want to leave Mattapan and listeners with an understanding that there are so, so many people and groups out there who are really doing the work. Like if you've made it this far in this podcast, you really care about this. And if you're listening to all of these podcasts that you guys are putting out that are all really awesome, like you clearly care about the work. And maybe you already know this, but there are just so many passionate groups that are out there doing work. And we all love to see new faces and love for new people to get involved. So don't be afraid to sh- just show up like, like I did. Like I just literally just showed up at an event and was like, hey, I'm here. Like, what can I do? And everyone welcomed me. And it's been just been like a really amazing, amazing group of people that I've met and that I've worked with. And I go over their houses and sit in their yards together with them and stuff like that. And so just don't be afraid to, to show up and to build that community power and work with other people. Brianne, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share your wisdom, gifts, and perspectives with our listeners. Your work to reimagine and co-lead the change you want to see in your community is a powerful example of what it means to create spaces where we all belong and can share our gifts. We are so grateful to call you a friend of Vital Village Networks and can't wait to see what the future holds in store for you. To learn more about Rianne and what she's been up to, please see this episode's show notes for links and resources. Before you go, be sure to register for the 10th Annual Vital Village Network's National Community Leadership Summit. This one-day in-person event will take place in Boston, Massachusetts on October 17, 2023. To learn more, please visit www.vitalvillagesummit.org. Registration ends on October 6th. So register and reserve your spot soon. Be well and take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening to In the Arena with Now. To learn more about the Vital Village Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing, please visit the online forum at networksofopportunity.org. Along with webinars, blogs, and links to this podcast, the Now Forum hosts a ton of additional resources through our searchable database. This episode was produced by Rhonda Alexander, Corinne Bauman, and Diana Rivera. Edited by Resonate with music by Akira Sora. In the Arena with Now is sponsored by Vital Village Networks at Boston Medical Center and made possible by funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. 